Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Verses 17 through 27. Mark 10, 17. When he was going forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. Thou hast treasure in heaven. Come, take up thy cross, and follow me. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. There's a little phrase there that there's lots of discussion about, whether it's easy to go through the, the eye of a needle, camel go through the eye of a needle. You know, some of the people wondering, you know, a needle, a thread needle. Others, most commentators believe it was something to do with a gate in the city of Jerusalem that was called the eye of a needle. Uh, still very difficult to get a camel through it, nonetheless. But the point is, nothing is impossible with the Lord. But tonight I want to look at the thief of covetousness. The thief of covetousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open your precious word. And Father, we thank you for uh, preserving it for us and the instruction and, that it gives us and the warnings it gives us. And we understand that we are living in, a, in an age of materialism and a desire for things and wealth and, and uh, in, in a... In a, a um, Desire to trust in these things uh, is prevalent. Uh, the trust in these things is prevalent on any and every hand. But Father, help us not to be caught up with the ways of the world. But help us be uh, put our trust in in you and our confidence in you for our everyday needs. And we'll thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know this is this account here. You know, Pastor Webb looked at this during revival meetings, and I'm going to look at it from a little different standpoint. Although he did mention some some of the, about covetousness, but you know, this account here in Mark 10 is not a message against rich people. Uh, it's not condemning riches. Uh, it's a message against covetousness, and you can be covetous and be poor. Covetousness doesn't have with a have to do with the things you have. It has to do with the condition of your heart. The, the issue is 
an issue of the heart, not what you have or what you do not have. I, I'm afraid there's many poor people that are very covetous. Um, in fact, the Bible says about the sluggard, you know, he, he, he desires and has not. <laughs> in other words, he's covetous, but he's not willing to work to get it. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, there's a lot of things you can be, that covetousness can lead into, but this, of course, warns us against covetousness with, with riches, and uh, we're not to seek after or to desire them. The Bible tells us in many places, uh, we're to, 1 Timothy 6 tells us to flee these things, and one of those things is covetousness. Now, I want to notice tonight, I have six things that the, the covetousness will rob you of. Of course, for covetousness, uh, it's a thief that may rob you of eternal life. Now, Jesus' response to this rich man's response to him in verse 23 is, it says, And Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So this man was trusting in his riches, and it was robbing him or denying him of everlasting life. Now, notice I said it's covetousness that was robbing him of this. It was not his money. Money wasn't the cause of this man's eternal damnation. It wasn't money. It was a choice of his heart. Your money is like gun or a car. You know, they're, they're, they're inanimate objects or things which we use, but how they're used and what is done with them is determined by the one who possesses them. And that's the way money is. It's, 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 you know, uh, it's that same way. You know, this was a heart choice. It was a choice of this man's heart. In Matthew chapter 12, Matthew 12, uh, verse 34, Matthew 12, 34, disciples there speaking to the Pharisees, says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So Jesus said it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. In chapter 15, he makes reference to this again. In chapter 15, in verse 16 through 20, And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast out in the draught? He's talking there about food. And he's saying that it isn't what you put in your mouth that's defiling you. Notice he goes on and says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. To be eaten with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So it's not a matter whether you wash your hands or not, whether you're going to defile yourself. It's a matter of uh, what comes out of your mouth, the words that you say, and of course that comes forth from the heart. He said they proceed from the heart. 
you know, again, Romans 10, 9, 9 and 10 says, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in what? In thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth, because with the heart, confession is made unto salvation. No, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And with heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Thank you. Uh, so it's, it's a heart issue. This, this, this thing of covetousness, what, what, what the cause of this man's eternal damnation was not his money or the things that he possessed. It's that those things possessed his heart. They possessed his heart. And so he robbed him. It's a danger of, and Jesus is warning here that, that covetousness has the, has a real danger of robbing one of eternal life. And this is a serious issue. He, he said it's difficult. You know, it's obvious. He did say it's difficult for those that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. That put confidence in money or possessions. Second thing we can see here is it rob you of your of satisfaction. Uh, if you look at verse seventeen of this text, it says, "And when he was going forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life?'" You know, it's obvious, and the implication here is, that this man realized he had a need. He was not satisfied with his status at this point in his life. He was in need. Though he had all that the world could offer him by way of of wealth and things, yet he was not satisfied in his soul and in his spirit. Because covetousness cannot satisfy you. Always wants just a little more, and just a little more, and just a little more. You know, it's just like the enemy that presses you to give in to them, and you give in to them a little bit, and they want a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. That's the way it is. You know, Solomon gave us some instruction concerning this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, as he looked at life under the sun... In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, he describes all the things that he had. Of course, he was the richest man on earth at the time. He said, I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and I had servants born in my house. I also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and a peculiar treasure of kings and, and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the lights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sort. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. And then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. Behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Yay. How? What a, what a terrible situation. You, know, you, you work and you work and you work to amass all this. And then you step back and look at it and you think, I'm going to leave it all behind. 
And then my son, he's just going to squander it. We know what Rehoboam did. He forsook the Lord, and the king of Egypt came up with a very small army and carried off all the gold. And so he made instead he carried off the gold in the temple. And so in its place, he made brass shields. So it can go just like that. It's all vanity. He says it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Chapter 4, verse 8. Again he says, There is one alone, there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all his labor, neither is I satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, For whom do I labor? And bereave my soul for good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. Chapter 5, verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. You know, the Bible tells us you're not going to be satisfied with silver or gold. Don't think that you're going to be the first one. See, it'll rob you of earthly satisfaction if you put them in the... Because it's, it's, it's putting your, your satisfaction, you're looking for satisfaction in the wrong things. A man lives from his spirit, and his spirit's not satisfied with his, in his relationship with God. He is not going to be satisfied. So covetousness will rob you of satisfaction. Third thing will rob you, rob you of, your, of the joy of giving. Again, in verse 17, he says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and said, Ask him, Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life. And of course, Jesus tells him, in verse 21, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. You know, it's, again, I don't believe this man had understood the joy of giving. Of giving. He had amassed this wealth. You know, he probably paid his tithes of mint and rue like the Pharisees did and fasted twice a week. And, and you know, because the Bible tells us, in, in, and I think it's in Luke, that he was a rich young ruler. So probably either a member of the Sanhedrin or a Pharisee or some ruling class. So I'm sure he observed these, these uh, ordinances or uh, of the Jewish, these Jewish rituals uh, to the letter, because he, you know, he talks about how he keeps all the commandments. So I'm sure he observed these, but he didn't find any satisfaction in it. You see, Proverbs twenty two nine says, Proverbs twenty two nine: He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, but he that giveth for he giveth of his bread to the poor. He didn't know the joy of giving. Uh, he didn't know the joy of giving. Proverbs 11.25 says, A liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that waters shall be watered also himself. So, you know, it speaks there of one who gives. The word liberal here means giving. One who gives will be made fat or satisfied. And he that waters shall be watered also himself. And every, the blessings will return to him. Uh, we know in Second Corinthians chapter 8, 
verses 1 through 5, Paul talked about the churches of Macedonia, and they first gave themselves willing to the Lord, and he says they desired of us and of Titus that we would receive the gift. They didn't give out of their abundance. They gave out of their poverty. They were giving people. They gave of themselves. And that's what true giving is. Giving of himself. But this man wasn't willing to give of himself. You know, he would probably be willing to give a few things as long as it didn't hurt him. As long as it didn't cost, cost any, cost anything to him. You know, Acts 20.35 says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Uh, in Luke 14, in Luke 14, in verses uh, 12 through 14, the, uh, and this is, this is, some people say this is where that quote in, in Acts 20.35 comes from. Says, then said he also to him that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. When thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that he shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And, and so the idea here is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You know, God is a giver. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giver. Uh, James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let us ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. Liberally. You know, abundantly. Cheerfully. Willingly, happily, every good gift and every perfect gift, verse 17, is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, of his own will begot he us. In other words, he willingly begot us, that has the idea of birthing us, with the word of truth. See, God is a giver. God is a giver. This man, covetousness, will rob you of the joy. Of giving. Fourthly, covetousness will rob us of eternal riches. Again, here in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, then Jesus beholding him loved him and saith in him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up thy cross, and follow me. Jesus said, you want to have treasure in heaven? Sell. Give away. Give away your, your, your earthly treasures. Sell them and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. In Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, and also in chapter 16, I'm going to look there as well. Luke 12, 16 through 21. Uh, we have the parable of the of the foolish farmer, and he says, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. plentifully. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself, and is not rich toward God. So here was this man who had abundance of harvest, and, and instead of glorifying God in that abundance, he decides, I'm going to build, tear down the barns that I have that are sufficient, and I'm going to build bigger and greater barns to store all my goods, so I don't have to keep working. So I can just be idle. The Lord said he was a foolish man and not rich toward God. Chapter 16, verse 9 through 13. So I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Now, that's, that's kind of a little bit of, this is a little bit of a hard to understand passage, but make your friends fam, make yourselves Friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Make yourself friends with people of the world. Be friendly to people of the world. Let me ask you something. Do you think people of the world are going to listen to you, witness to them if you aren't friendly to them? I mean, that's kind of common sense. And I think that's the idea here. That when they ye fail, they may receive you in everlasting habitations. The idea is that they might possibly follow you when you fail. That has the idea of dying. They will follow you into everlasting habitations. That would be heaven. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in that in the least is unjust also in much. Now, if there you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. You know, if you become friends with people of the world who have money and, you're, and they trust you with their money and you are faithful with their money, this is, again, you've got to put yourself in Bible times here. A lot of people work... There's a lot of people that were wealthy in Israel, and many of uh, many people were servants, served them as stewards. Stewardship was a big thing, you know. So you managed their business, and if you would manage your 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 wealthy friend's business uh, honestly and uprightly, you would earn his respect, and he would trust you or to listen to you about true riches. I believe that's the idea here. He says, if, you, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? What's the true riches? You know, what, what is true riches biblically? It's everlasting life. It's the gospel. And if you, had, if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you can't put your eyes on your, your rich friend's money and earn his trust. doesn't work that way. And if you have your eyes on your rich man, your friend's money, is he going to trust you to listen to you about True riches? He says you can't serve God and mammon. You see, this can rob us of eternal riches. People ought to be able to trust us with their possessions. 
it also then gives us opportunity to witness to them of true riches, which is everlasting life. And so, it can rob us of eternal riches if we are unfaithful with that which is least. It can rob us also of our fellowship with God. Colossians 3.5 very clearly says that covetousness is idolatry. Of course, this man in Mark chapter 10 never came to realize fellowship with God. He never found what he sought for because he would not let go of his heart set on his riches. You know, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom You know, he coveted the wealth of Sodom. It cost him his fellowship with the Lord. It cost him, of course, his family, his testimony, and I believe his eternal reward. And if the New Testament didn't tell us that he was a just man, we'd say he's he's probably lost. But the Bible tells us he's a just man. But he was vexed. He vexed his righteous soul from day to day. You know, Proverbs 11.28 says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Joshua chapter 6, Israel conquered Jericho. But God gave us clear instructions that the gold and the silver and, and, uh, and everything was brought into the temple and everything else was to be destroyed. They conquered Jericho easily. A very fortified, strong city. In chapter 7, they were defeated by Ai, a small city of insignificant size, and 36 men died. They were defeated because of covetousness. One man was covetous. He coveted the gold and the silver that he saw in that Babylonian garden, and he took it into the camp. You see, what he really did was he didn't just take gold and silver into the camp. He brought idolatry into the camp. He introduced idolatry into the nation. Because covetousness, Colossians 3.5, is idolatry. It's putting something else in God's place. So it rob us of our fellowship with God. And then number six, it robs God of what is His. It robs God of what is His. In verse 22, you know, Jesus told him that he needs to sell all he had and give to the poor and have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In verse 22 it says, He was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. You know, God could have used this man's wealth. Not that he needed it, but he could have used it. You know how how many times throughout the Bible, if you read your Bible carefully, God's work suffers because people are covetous. Let's look look at a few few examples. In Haggai chapter 1, Verse 3 to 11. Haggai chapter chapter 1. 
Verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build a house. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the little horse? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I, notice this, God says, I, I called for the drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the grind bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. You see, they weren't bringing to the house of God what God had commanded them. They had forsaken the building of the house of God, but they had made certain their houses were nice and taken care of, but not the house of God. They hadn't brought what God had commanded. That's very clear. When you consider Malachi uh, chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, In verses 8 through 10, you know, this was a continual problem with the children of Israel. Malachi 3, 8 through 10, Will a man rob God? Ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, and maybe meet in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of the hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. He says, you've robbed me, and you've robbed me in your tithes and offerings. You know, in Nehemiah's day, you know, the Nehemiah went back to build the wall and restore the temple worship and to put the priests in place and to put in place the bringing in the, the, to the storehouse things that were brought in to provide for the priests. And then he went back to Shushan for a period of time. And then he came back. And in chapter 12, he learned that Eliashib was aligned to Tobiah. He was the priest. He was aligned to Tobiah and, and a room in the temple that they had dedicated for the storage of the tithes and offerings of the people, the provisions to bring in for the priests, had been given to uh, Tobiah. But the priests, every man fled to his field. Why? So he could provide for himself. And the offerings were not brought in because Tobiah was there. Nehemiah says, I chased him. I threw out his stuff. I cleansed the temple. And immediately, you know what happened? The people brought back in the offerings. The provisions that were for 
the temple, and the Lord's work. You see, they had robbed God. They had, covetousness had robbed God of what was His. What was His? Uh, Proverbs 11, again, a lot of verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 11 and verses 24 to 26. The Bible says this, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. Uh, <clears throat> and so, uh, covetousness, it can rob God of what is his. What is his? You see, what Achan took belonged to God. And he took it. If we're saved, we belong to God. Don't sell yourself to covetousness. We're going to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. You know, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have possessions. The problem is, if that money or possessions has you. The question I would ask is this. How do you make decisions? What are they based on? Are they based on financial risk? Or are they based on what is right in the sight of God? Yeah, we are to flee, flee covetousness. Paul gives some strong warnings in First Timothy concerning covetousness. He said to warn the rich. But in First Timothy 6, verse 6, he says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will, in other words, desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and in many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, again, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they bear from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Hebrews thirteen five and 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man should do unto me. Psalm thirty-seven sixteen says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the richest of many wicked. Beware of covetousness. It is a thief. So, May the Lord help us to beware of covetousness.